0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA here on this Wednesday. Hard to believe it's already July 27th, but that's where we are. Folks, we are going to be talking a lot of different issues today. We're going to look out west into the Pacific Northwest, up at the Columbia River Basin and the Snake River Basin. Chandler Gould, the CEO of the National Association of Wheat Growers, will be joining us. We're going to talk about some potential changes to the Snake River. We're also going to focus back on what is happening in California with that. AB5 bill. We spoke about that on Monday with Joe Sheely of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. The challenges that independent truckers are facing in California as this new rule gets rolled out. We're going to speak with Stephen Greenhut. He's the Western Region Director at the R Street Institute from Sacramento. He has been covering this topic for about four years. He's going to bring us up to speed on what this law means and how many other states are considering proposals like what we're seeing develop in California. Before we go out west, though, we are going to go up to the Northern Corn Belt. Growers up in Minnesota had their first opportunity to discuss the Farm Bill with representatives from the General Farm Commodities and Risk Management Subcommittee of the House Ag Committee. Sherry Bustos and Angie Craig, both Democratic reps, uh, Bustos of Illinois and Angie Craig of Minnesota held a listening session on Monday. Joining me today to talk about it is Dan Glessing. He's the president of the Minnesota Farm Bureau. And Dan, tell me how was the crowd at the listening session up there in Minnesota?
2: it was a it was a great turnout actually a lot of standing room um, a lot of interest in this farm bill coming up
0: there is indeed and those discussions are just getting underway dan from the farm bureau's perspective what are some of the key issues you want to make sure the representatives were aware of as these discussions get underway
2: well some of the the things i highlighted at the hearing was the importance of crop insurance you know it's a it's not necessarily a, a you know, an option anymore. It's more of a necessity to try and try and survive till next year if we have a, a crop disaster. And, you know, I, I let them know I'm not linking um, premium subsidies or, or, you know, the conservation measures because there's been talk if we link conservation measures to premiums on crop insurance, that that would be one way to get a little more compliance in into um, some of the conservation programs. And uh, I let them know that that's not an option that, crop insurance is more of a necessity nowadays than than anything
0: dan i'm I'm glad you brought that up as we hear about this conservation compliance tying it to premium subsidies for crop insurance from your perspective at the minnesota farm bureau what are the risks with that what what in the growing area of minnesota makes that a a, a little riskier proposition
2: well, quite honestly, conservation measures, um, you know, dictated by by DC, don't necessarily work on everybody's farm, and and should be a more regional approach. And that's kind of been our fear is, is if you start linking things that don't work on our land. Uh, my land is is quite a bit different. I'm in the central part of the state. It's quite a bit different than north northern Minnesota or southern Minnesota. Likewise, in Iowa, Illinois, one approach doesn't fit everything. And so that's that's an important. Uh, reason why we're kind of opposed to that. And like I said, crop insurance is more of a necessity to try and stay in business nowadays than with the cost of inputs rising. And, uh, you know, it's, we need that safety net to be a safety net and stand on its own
0: indeed and dan i think you mentioned it being a necessity i talked to many lenders across the corn belt who require crop insurance so i mean there are some places where it is truly a part of the financing operation for ag in general i understand there were farms of all different sizes speaking here um how was the the overall attitude were were folks respectful generally of one another and the different uh, issues they were raising
2: yeah absolutely and i think that's one thing we have going for us in agriculture you know the farm bill's been largely bipartisan and, um, we're there to listen to to other people's concerns. We're all in this thing together and we need to remember that, uh, you know, because there was some talk about emerging farmers and how can we help them get started if they have a, a good business model and, and a good market, how can we help them facilitate that business, uh, get, getting going and, and being part of agriculture? Um, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's uh, one of those things that's hard to put a number on, and, and how do we help them? And where where is the help needed? Um, but there again, that's why they're holding these these sessions. Quite honestly, it's it's good to see them out and about, out in the countryside and, and listening. You know, Congresswoman Craig has been a a good advocate for farmers, and I was glad she was able to to get one in her district.
0: Indeed, it's nice to, to see these folks come from D.C., get back in their home territories and get out, intermix with constituents. And uh, I, I want to talk about uh, some of the other issues that were were under discussion there. As you think about uh, really the membership of, of Minnesota Farm Bureau, Dan, looking out to the future, how's it going? Are you seeing additional members continue to join? Are folks fired up about the ag industry in the state of Minnesota?
2: Well, they're definitely fired up. Our membership is is kind of holding steady right now, but I think once we get get going in this farm bill and and people see all that the advocacy that we're doing on their behalf, that we'll uh, we'll see some more members coming our way. Um, just because our voices together are stronger than one one voice individually, and so that's kind of what we've always hung our hat on is we're here for you. Um, we have a a great grassroots process at Farm Bureau where if you, you don't think our policy is where it needs to be. Uh, go to an annual meeting on the county level and, and for a resolution, that's how it works. And it goes up to the state level and gets discussed, but that's why, that's why we, uh, like I said, I think many voices together are, are better than one.
0: Absolutely, they are. And that teamwork, that bringing the voices together to help give a megaphone to them when you're talking to folks in St. Paul or D.C. certainly makes a difference. Dan, internally with Minnesota Farm Bureau, where do you sit on your your grassroots organizing for this 23 Farm Bill? Are you still taking proposals from members?
2: Yeah, well, we're actually sending out a survey. We have Farm Fest here in the state next week, and uh, we've got a a survey of, of what's working in this current farm bill and what's not. Um, that's gonna be heading out here. We're gonna kick it off with Farm Fest. And um, just to hear what's on our, our members' minds. You know, We've heard DM's dairy margin coverage is on, on their minds. How do we up those limits? Um, it's current $5 million or 5 million uh, pound limit. And so maybe upping that because family farms are, are having to grow a little larger to, to stay competitive. Uh, and also up in the margins to reflect the current prices that are going into that, producing that milk. Um, you know, and and another thing we're hearing is conservation programs. Uh, we don't want to penalize anybody for trying some early conservation measures. And if they're not working like they thought they were going to, have some flexibility within those, those programs so that they can switch. If it's a cover crop, for instance, switch to a different cover crop and still be in compliance with that contract. Um, but at the end of the day, we need to do what's working for the farmer, but also what's working um, to, to do that conservation measure.
0: Absolutely. We got to take the knowledge of the work on the ground and put it into practice. Dan Glessing, president of the Minnesota Farm Bureau, thanks for talking to us about that listing session held on Monday. And for listeners who want more information or maybe they're Minnesotans and want their voice heard, where can they go for information on Farm Bureau?
2: Uh, FBNN.org. Uh, we'd certainly love to have you as a member.
0: Fantastic, folks. FBMN. Check that out. Dan Glessing, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: All right. Thank you.
0: And folks, stick around. We're going to talk with Chandler Gould of the National Association of Wheat Growers when we return about the Snake River Basin. Stick around for more AOA. The American Coalition for Ethanol is hosting its 35th annual conference in Omaha, Nebraska, Wednesday, August 10th through Friday, August 12th. This must-attend event for industry leadership features timely updates on ethanol public policy, market development, board of director training, and more. This event combines the detail of high-level training courses with all the fun of a family reunion. For event details, visit ethanol.org. That's ethanol.org. Every Tuesday, we'll be Sitting Around the Table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us Around the Table every
3: Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system. Featuring high yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extendamax to Max herbicide with vapor grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system. The system of choice. Extendamax is a restricted use pesticide. Always follow Stewardship Practices' all pesticide label directions and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state.
4: They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of bear plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit Channellistens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable, grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block, recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.
0: You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world.
1: Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson
0: hello ladies and gentlemen thanks for tuning in to AOA here on this Wednesday you know when we think about the advantages that American agriculture has they are legion when we compare to our our fellow agriculturalists around the world and one of the key advantages we have in this country according to economists who study this issue is our river system the ability we have to get grain from the center part of this country where our soils are fantastic and the farmers are working hard down to the ports and out to international growers or buyers at a price that is cheap than anything else is really one of our key competitive advantages. And when we think about this river system, of course, here in the Corn Belt, we think of the Mississippi, Missouri River systems. We think of the Ohio River running up through the Eastern Corn Belt down in the Southeast. We've got the Tennessee Tom Big Bay, Tom Bigby River system. And then of course, out west, we have the Columbia and Snake River Basin. Now, both of these two rivers out west have been the focus of a lot of environmental concern over the past really 40 years. Those two rivers are home to trout salmon and steelhead excuse me salmon and steelhead and those two populations have been in decline so environmental groups have been working to try and restore these two uh species of fish while at the same time we've got agricultural groups we've got business groups who are working to maintain navigability there on the columbia and snake river basins now here just about two weeks ago the white house um uh Council on Environmental Quality, apologies, just completely blanked on the name there, the CEQ at the White House published a series of reports, and they were looking at the impact of dams on the lower Snake River Basin. Now, our friends at the National Association of Wheat Growers obviously have been tackling this issue for several years, and they're concerned about some of the issues that are developing uh, that we're seeing in that market, um, and, and we're seeing in that area, and they're really concerned about the potential recommendations coming from this white house to perhaps remove a dam now uh hopefully we will be hearing from chandler ghoul he is the ceo of the national association of wheat growers they have been following this quite some time and uh, we've got him with us chandler thank you so much for joining us today on aoa
5: hey thank you very much for the opportunity and uh looking forward to our discussion
0: well, let's talk. We were just talking about the importance of the navigable river system here across the United States, and in particular, focus right now is the Columbia and Snake River Basin. Uh, Chandler, we had this a White House report issued about two weeks ago. What are they recommending in order to bring back these sta- uh, salmon and steelhead trout?
5: Well, they are recommending that we uh, breach or remove one of the uh, low, lower Snake River dams. So, there's four dams down there, and they are, they are suggesting that we need to remove least one of them but removing one dam would cripple the entire system of us being able to move commodity product commodities down barges which we know is much more fuel efficient cost efficient and better for the climate
0: so where where is the dam they're looking to remove Chandler
5: so the the four lower dams uh, kind of basically run from uh, Lewiston they're in they're in Idaho which is what makes it so interesting that you have got a Washington uh, governor and, and uh, support there to remove dams that's not even in <laughs> in their in their own state and so um, you know there, there's going to have to be a battle on Capitol Hill uh, should they want to move this forward. But what I really thought was interesting about the report is it blatantly completely omitted anything about agriculture because they knew there was no benefit to agriculture whatsoever from the rest of suggesting of the removal of that dam.
0: That is what is so staggering about this coming out of the White House. They've compiled these two different reports, one looking at salmon and steelhead and the other looking at electricity. And at no point did either of them did they talk about barging or the importance to agriculture. Chandler, from your perspective, working with wheat growers, what would the elimination of water shipping on the lower snake mean to Idaho producers?
5: Well, you know, first of all, for every barge, you're looking at, uh, you know, roughly uh, 144 rail cars or. Five hundred and forty semis per barge, and just from the wheat point of view, we we ship sixty percent of the Pacific Northwest through that river system, and we and then even on a larger scale, we ship ten percent of all U.S. wheat goes out that river system, and I think there's also a, a very bad precedent being set here too. If they were to remove one of these dams, what what's to keep them from going to the Missouri, the Ohio, the Mississippi, and them literally crippling our entire uh, inner waterway transportation system? And so the reason they left ag out is because ag is going to have the biggest negative impact uh, if these dams are breached.
0: That's right, and they're trying to leave ag out, but we are going to be a part of this conversation. Chandler, with this report coming from the White House, they did note that they are not backing any of these proposals quite yet. So talk to me a little bit about timing. What do you expect is for actual progress on a proposal like this?
5: Well, so the next step, what they would have to do if, if we were going to go that direction is you've got to get the U.S. Congress to vote to remove the dams. And so we've got a very, very strong bipartisan, bicameral uh, support. Uh, you know, like you said in your introduction, we've been working on this for, gosh, close to two years now. And so uh, it would take congressional a- action in order to actually complete what this report wants, to- once done and we have been very adamant uh with the appropriate members on the epw committee and uh natural resources and, and commerce and energy that uh, and uh, transportation that the bre- removing this dam uh is a non-starter for all of us so i feel we still got that good strength on the hill but that but you can't ever take your eye off that ball because it can change at any time
0: well, and and that's just the thing, isn't it? I mean, this work in the background is continuing there with this administration. So we don't have the pressure on the Hill to move forward on this quite yet. But Chandler, what other avenues do, do you imagine the CEQ is going to be studying with regard to really the Columbia Basin as a whole?
5: Well, I think they're going to be continuing to look at, you know, climate change and environmental impacts. And, uh, you know, of course, when you remove those dams, you're taking that hydroelectricity. I'm not really sure how you're uh, supposed to produce electricity more efficiently and cleaner than through hydro, uh, hydro dams, but I really think that just looking at the entire area, and, and you know there's a lot more going out there than just the removal of the Snake Rivers. You, you know, you've got some tension between some of the uh, Native American uh, uh, tribes and and na- nations that are out there, and and really we're just having the same fight that we've been having for 20 years, but. If they, really, if, if they start messing with our ability to transport not just agricultural goods, but lots of other things up and down our river systems, you're going to see a huge impact to Washington, Oregon, and Idaho uh, commodity prices uh, and ability to, to market and actually get their product uh, overseas. I mean, this is what the river system is for when it comes to agriculture.
0: Indeed. And you've got to imagine, as everybody in Washington is talking about greenhouse gas emissions, the idea of pulling barge trains off the river, barge tows off the river, rather, and replacing that with hundreds and hundreds of trucks should be a tough sell in D.C. in this environment. But it sure sounds like that's what this report wants to see happen.
5: I, 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 This is literally the administration talking out of two sides of its mouth. On one side, they want to take out this dam and, and, and for, for fish recovery. Which, you know, uh, if you actually talk to National Fish and Wildlife, uh, the salmon are returning at an efficient rate to maintain uh, their population numbers. But we do know that there's, you know, concern out there. But exactly right. They, they, they want everybody reducing emissions, sequestering more greenhouse gas, you know, all these goals, not only from the government, but from food companies. And then you're going to turn around and support the removal of a dam and forcing us to produce more CO2 uh, by moving to rail on the highways it's it's, it's completely backwards from the administration's goals
0: It is. So this report is out there. The CEQ has published this. They're not backing the proposal to remove the dam quite yet, but clearly it is under discussion there in the White House. Chandler, for listeners in the Pacific Northwest or for listeners who rely on any inland waterway system, if you want to get in there and make comments or perhaps change the trajectory of this system, what can we do? Is there a place we can go to comment on this sort of thing? So
5: not necessarily on the CEQ. Um, The Governor Inslee in Washington State, I do the, you, I do believe you will be able to comment on, on that report. But the most important thing that your listeners could do is call their congressmen and their two senators that they oppose the breaching of any dams in the United States and then specifically the Snake River since that's what we're focused on today.
0: All right, folks. Do be sure to keep up to speed on this issue. It is, oh, man, it's hard to believe that this is where they're coming down, Chandler. And from uh, from the wheat growers' perspective, harvest is wrapping up across the country. Are you hearing positive reports from your growers? You know, we're getting, I've got a, got a really
5: good report from Oregon yesterday and a, and a really good report from Michigan. Uh, you know, some of our bigger states there in the, in the center of the country, Kansas, had some pretty good spots and also had some pretty not so good spots. You could just definitely tell where, who, who got those little showers and, and who did not. But overall, you know, I think harvest is going to be okay. Definitely not going to be our best year. Protein is pretty high across the country. Uh, but th- things are wrapping up. We're just waiting for the Pacific Northwest and Montana. And then we'll be going in from there.
0: That's where it'll be going, and hopefully, those farmers up in the PNW can get that grain out to the ports on the river system. Folks, check out wheatworld.org for the website for Chandler, and stick around. We're going to be talking AB5 in California when AOA returns.
3: choose the proven performance of the roundup ready extend crop system featuring high yielding extend flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of extend max herbicide with vapor grip technology elite genetics triple herbicide tolerance flexibility that delivers results backed by 25 years of innovation that's the roundup ready extend crop system the system of choice extend max is a restricted use pesticide always follow stewardship practices all pesticide label directions and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state
4: They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of bear plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other
6: stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, quarter wheat prices backing off a little bit from overnight highs. Crop markets did surge again overnight and that continued the momentum from Monday and Tuesday's trading session as we've seen the rally and prices move us back through many 20-day moving averages and beyond. The primary reasons for crop prices moving higher are U.S. forecasts, which are trending hotter and drier for August. Lower than expected U.S. crop ratings this week and the uncertainty over what's going on with Black Sea exports due to the Russia-Ukraine war. Now again, quarter wheat backing off a little bit here this morning. While the soy complex remains strong with good strength in bean meal and bean oil once again. Now we also have Fed Day on Wall Street today. Traders cautiously waiting for the Federal Reserve's updated monetary policy statement to be released this afternoon at 1 p.m. Central Time followed by a press conference with Fed Chair Jerome Powell. Now stocks showing some modest strength here with the VIX slipping to trade near 24. A bit of a risk on sentiment overnight and this morning with positive money flow into the equities and into much of the broader commodity sector as well. The dollar index pulling back to trade near 106.9 as the trade is anticipating a 75 basis point interest rate hike with the Fed's announcement here this afternoon. A few market numbers, corn for September up 2, 5.99. December up 3 quarters, 6.01 and a half. August beans up forty three fifteen seventy five 15.75 and three quarters. November up 27 and a quarter, 14.11. August bean meal up 15.90 a ton, 4.88.30. August bean oil up 84.6126. September Chicago wheat, 6.5 lower, 7.97 and a quarter. September KC wheat down 12 and a quarter, 8.64, three quarters. Spring wheat, September down 16 and a quarter, 9.12 and a half. August live cattle down 27, 136.60. August feeders up 37, 177.80. August hogs up 112, 118, 10 I'm Jesse Allen reporting.
7: 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk.
1: 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack.
4: 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest,
8: and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or
7: stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation.
3: 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see
8: this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, Get back on it or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org.
1: I head to toe. Everything's changed. Head to toe. Brought to you by the American Heart
8: Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council.
0: This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.
1: information farmers and ranchers need to know AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson.
0: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. You know, we've been talking a lot about region specific policies, and we're going to do that again because this policy that we're going to talk next in California is a very important one. Earlier this week on Monday, in fact, we talked with Joe Sheely of the U.S. Meat Export Federation about the hang up of beef exports at the Port of Oakland. Uh, last week, truckers from across the state of California and particularly those truckers who haul goods in and out of the ports, many of them perhaps as many as 70% of the total truckers throughout California who do this work are independent contractors. And there was a law passed several years ago in California called AB5. And uh, that law is designed to eliminate independent contractors. It was really written to combat Uber and Lyft, but lots of exemptions have been written. And now it turns out that law is going to be going into effect. And really what these truckers are saying is that AB5 would require them to give up their their businesses. Remember, these folks are independent operators. They've been paying taxes. They've been paying their their social security support as their their own independently operated businesses for years. And now the state of California wants them to become employees of the firms they are driving for. Steven Greenhut is the Western Region Director at the R Street Institute, and they have been covering this issue quite a bit. We are getting Steven connected here on the line right now. We'll have him on in just a bit, I would hope. But this topic, the reason I think it's worth discussing, yes, it matters for exports. Yes, of course, it matters for supply chain disruptions that we are seeing throughout the the in economy, as so many goods do come into those West Coast ports and need to be carried by these independent truckers throughout the uh, to, to get their journey started in the supply chain. But what we're also seeing is other states taking a look at legislation similar to this in California. They are uh, they are working to to. In their mind, hold accountable uh, companies that that use independent contractors, and usually it's Uber and Lyft are the ones that uh, that take the, the the biggest brunt of the criticism. Grubhub, any sort of delivery service. So what happened in the state of California is the Supreme Court in 2018 said you can only be an independent contractor if you pass the ABC test. They set out three different ways that you could, in fact, qualify as an independent contractor. The first rule if you're an independent contractor, you cannot work in under the company's direction. They can't be giving you assignments every single day and telling you to go accomplish them because then the Supreme Court of California argues you're an employee, not an independent contractor. You've got to have freedom to pursue your own goals if you're an independent contractor. That's text, uh, step one. The other test is you can't be involved in the firm's main business. And this is where they come after Uber and Lyft. They're saying, all right, you're an independent contractor, you're driving an Uber, that is the main form of business for your company. You can't be an independent contractor. You need to be an employee. And this is where they're catching the independent truckers as well. Uh, The California Supreme Court says effectively, if most of these independent truckers are hauling for a single uh, cargo supplier, uh, most of them do pick up their loads from one specific terminal and they haul them to wherever they need to go. So the Supreme Court says, well, you are working in your firm's main business, and so you must become an employee. And the third test uh, I thought was an interesting one. The Supreme Court threw out there in California. They said that you must have made the decision to go to work on your own by yourself. The case that spurred all this was a case called dynamax v california and basically what happened is dynamax was a was a local delivery company and they had a bunch of employees who were running their delivery trucks and in 2017 they said you know what i bet this would be a better business decision if we made these drivers independent contractors then paid them effectively a piece rate and so that's where it all started and uh that that basically the court said, we can't have uh, the company deciding that you're going to be an independent contractor. The independent contractor must decide on their own. So that's the baseline for AB5. Stephen Greenhut joins us now. Stephen, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having me. You bet. So we were just talking a little bit of the history of the AB5 law. Steven, I want to ask you about exemptions. This law was written first, really, as I mentioned, to tackle Uber and Lyft. But it's kind of devolved a lot from that initial proposal. Who all is covered by AB5 as it stands in 2022?
9: Well, in, you know, it originally, uh, yeah, it targeted those uh, ride sharing drivers, uh, but it really was a union backed bill. And they, uh, you know, it was something that uh, the the unions kind of want nationwide. So they pretty much threw everybody in except for some of the most, the, the groups with the most influential lobbyists, like attorneys and realtors, insurance agents. And then there was such a backlash uh, because people, freelance writers were losing their jobs, photographers, artists, musicians, you know, were losing gigs, local community groups were shutting down. And then... The legislature exempted, ended up exempting a uh, hundred different professions, and then the the voters uh, approved overwhelmingly Prop 22, which then exempted the rideshare drivers that was sponsored by DoorDash, Uber, and Lyft. So that that eliminated most people, but truckers and there's still a few other professions, uh, you know, that are covered. And truckers are, you know, that's why we see the 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 protests at the Port of Oakland now because uh, you know, and trucking's awfully important. Uh, business in the midst of especially in the midst of our supply chain problems and especially after the state's been kind of tormenting truckers for the last decade with their new diesel rules and we have a pretty pretty short staffed on truckers and now they they impose uh, AB5 which you know it's, it's it, it you can't be an owner operator ultimately in, in California
0: and Steven, I think that's kind of what I was trying to get to as I was introducing the piece. I mean, this law effectively would, for independent truckers at least, basically eliminate the independent owner-operator, uh, wouldn't
9: it? Yeah, I mean, it, 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 there there are some workarounds, right? So they can, uh, you know, they can start an LLC, and there are a few things they can do. Uh, I remember when it first went into into effect for freelancers, um, you know, a lot of freelancers started LLCs and did a business-to-business exemption. I mean, that's expensive. There's a lot of hassle. Uh, but if they don't, uh, f- and, you know, follow whatever the new workarounds are, uh, you know, if you're an owner-operator driving from Nevada and you hit the border, you've got to transfer your load to an employee. So... And by the way, uh, the, the legislature refused to soften or suspend the laws. They suspended many laws during COVID. They refused to suspend the AB5, even when they wanted us to be at home, right, getting deliveries and not being out in stores buying. Uh, so it's it's an ideologically driven union back uh, legislation, and it's the mark of particularly bad legislation. If you have to, you pass a bill, a landmark bill, and then you exempt pretty much everybody out of it. That that doesn't make any any sense uh, uh, whatsoever. But no. uh, uh, that's that's no, where we are. But it's it's yeah.
0: It, it really doesn't make any sense, as you mentioned the supply chain disruptions, the fact that truckers have been paying six bucks plus a gallon for diesel in the state of California for the past six months. I mean, it really feels like AB five is kind of kicking these truckers when you're down. And Stephen, you you mentioned something that I think is crucial for our conversation here, which is what happens if I'm an independent owner operator from Nevada, and that's where my business is headquartered, and I'm hauling loads into California. Will I still be able to do that?
9: Well, that you know I. That's one of the other things is it's not always so clear, right, how I, I remember, uh, you know, no being in the in the profession as, as a, I'm a journalist and work for a think tank. Uh, so I know a lot of writers and it wasn't clear, right, what how how it applied and whether this this applied or that. So I, I don't know. I mean, every, every trucker, I guess, is going to need to consult with an attorney now to figure out. Um, I, 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 you know, I don't, I, I don't know yeah, before you take answer. this
0: load, call your attorney to see if you can get it to where it needs to go. That does not seem like the kind of practice that's going to encourage business formation in the state. Stephen, is the legislature going to waver on this?
9: Well, you know, we've been discouraging business formation in California for, you know, ever since before i moved there uh 30 years ago or whatever so so it's it's uh the, the business it's a beautiful state by the way and it's a wonderful uh place to be I've, I've been here for a long time and really like it but the, the the legislature is not um it just imposed one regulation and tax after another on businesses and businesses have been you know fleeing for years i mean we we, uh, I went to a press conference once in uh, near Los Angeles, where at, at the site of a closing uh, factory, where all the different businesses were there comparing notes on which state to go to. That's, you know, that's not a, that's not a good, healthy
0: no that's that's pretty grim stephen that is that is pretty grim indeed i want to ask you about the the spread of the ideology that backs laws like this california of course uh, we see frequently the, the beginning uh launching these type of proposals are there any other states where you're hearing this type of legislation uh potentially moving forward
9: uh you know i i think after the i i'm not sure i haven't been tracking it in other states i know i i know there were some efforts uh, in, like in in uh, at the federal level to impose some elements of AB5, um, and I think some states, maybe in the Northeast, had considered it, but but um, the, the 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 blowback was so severe that uh, from what I understand that uh, the kind of the movement has slowed a bit, and there has been movement in some states like Virginia even uh, to to preempt it, you know, to pass. Uh, legislation that would would ban that sort of thing and but i but again i'm not i i'm pretty much focused on california and the western states so i i haven't been tracking all the uh, states and every element but there's there's been some but and you also know with legislatures i mean uh you know people introduce bills and it's always hard to ascertain whether it's a serious bill or just a, a, a Bill that that's the, the truth which law. one of
0: these is going to make it and which one of these is going to drive some headlines for election day folks we've been talking to stephen greenhut he is the resident senior fellow and western region director at the r street institute you can read more of their writing on the ab5 bill at rstreet.org. stephen thank you so much for joining us today
9: yes thanks for having me appreciate it
0: and folks stick around when we return we're going to talk about the minimum global corporate tax and how it might not be coming to the u.s stick around for more aoa Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up.
7: Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens.
3: Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With
7: macular degeneration, Independence changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early.
3: My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that.
7: Make a plan today to get your eyes
3: checked. Visit BrightFocus.org
1: to learn more.
7: Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes Purple Packaging at your grocery store and visit rfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve, together we can make a difference bite by bite.
3: Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System, featuring high-yielding extend flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Max herbicide with vapor grip technology, elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System. The system of choice. Extendamax is a restricted use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state.
4: They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of bear plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions.
0: Are you looking to improve crop nutrition and soil health? Anuvia Plant Nutrients is holding several Future of Fertilizer field tours across the Midwest. The first tour stop is Cedar Falls, Iowa on Tuesday, August 2nd, where Agriculture of America will be broadcasting live. The tour continues in Farmer City, Illinois on August 3rd and Sheridan, Indiana on August 4th. For more information on dates and locations and to reserve your spot, visit us at fertilizertour.com. That's fertilizertour.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for making AOA a part of your day here on this Wednesday. You know, we talk a lot about state issues on AOA, we talk a lot about national issues, and we even talk about global issues here on the program. And next up, we are going to talk about a big global issue that was a very, very hot topic just about a year ago. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, when the Biden administration first uh, took office, traveled around the world and helped bridge and build a consensus for a global global Minimum Corporate Tax Agreement. The idea was uh, Secretary Yellen was going to go, she went to about 137 different uh, countries, rather, and convinced them all that globally, no corporation should be allowed to have a corporate tax rate less than 15%. Now, of course, some countries in the United States pay less than that 15%. This was true really at a lot of the signatories, notably Ireland and uh, some of the other European countries uh, that really were trying to spur growth had cut that corporate tax rate, And now this global agreement that was signed a year ago has to go to all of the different countries for ratification by their legislative bodies. And of course, in the United States, that means it goes to Congress. So this global 15% worldwide minimum tax is headed to Congress. And Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia, he's been in the news a lot this past year. He has really uh, emerged as a swing voter in the 50-50 Senate. And he has come out and said he is not prepared to go ahead with the legislative package that contained this law. Now, it is widely expected that all the Republicans would be against it. So in order to get this across the finish line and bring the minimum corporate average tax rate up in this country, to 15%, we would need all of the Democrats to sign off on it. And it doesn't sound like that's going to happen. And of course, even if they did all sign off on it, they wouldn't hit that 60 vote minimum, but uh, you know, not expected to be vetoed here by this president. Now, we're not done having this discussion. Even if uh, Senator Manchin votes no, even if this bill never makes it any further, doesn't mean the deal comes to a close. There was a failsafe in the negotiation last year. And that failsafe means, let's say that the U.S. corporate average tax rate, uh, the minimum is 12%, and that's what U.S. companies are paying. If that U.S. company is doing business in a country that has signed on and passed this corporate uh, global minimum tax rate, then that company, or that, that country rather, gets to charge the excess between the corporate rate here in the U.S. and this global 15% minimum. So 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 what these negotiators are saying is that, okay, even if the U.S. doesn't pass this law, the U.S. companies are still going to be paying these taxes on any deals they're doing in these places. It just means the U.S. won't be getting the tax revenue. So this hasn't passed yet. Of course, it doesn't sound like it's going to, but even if it doesn't, it is still going to be an issue discussed in this converse or discussed in this country for some time to come. The UK has announced they are drafting the rules to get this going. The EU naturally has been uh, has been working to make some progress on this, but the EU hasn't signed off on this yet either. The country of Hungary in Eastern Europe is holding off. They're one of those who cut their corporate tax rate in a bid to induce companies to move into Hungary and grow businesses. They say. hey we don't want to raise it we want to make sure these companies have a reason to stay in hungary so the european union really in the same boat as the u.s on this whole deal now we do have some more news coming out of the united states government later on today i shouldn't say the government i should instead say the u.s federal reserve we will get meetings from the fed's open market committee later this afternoon and we are expected to see another interest rate hike The question remains the size of the hike back at the first part of this month when we saw the June inflation number come out at 9.1%, a lot of folks in the market believed that we were going to need to see the Fed move interest rates a full percentage point higher. That's 100 basis points was what the trade anticipated. We would need to see the Fed raise rates in order to keep the economic jitters down. However, since we have seen a fairly substantial pullback in the equity markets, we've seen some additional cost climbing throughout the economy. Several Fed governors, notably Governor Christopher Waller of, uh, of St. Louis and James Bullard, both came out and they said they are expecting, or they would prefer to see, a rate hike of 75 basis points. They are in their quiet period right now. We'll hear from them a little bit later, early in the afternoon. We'll get that update from the US Federal Reserve. And it will move headlines. For about a day, the Federal Reserve number will be the most discussed piece of market data from about 2 p.m. this afternoon until about 8 o'clock tomorrow morning when we receive the U.S. GDP numbers for the second quarter. That's coming out tomorrow. There has been a lot of questioning. Will the U.S. economy officially be in a recession? And despite some of the redefinition happening in the White House, a recession is still defined as two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. As of right now, and again, these numbers aren't going to come out until tomorrow morning, but economists are expecting to see a point four percent increase in second quarter GDP tomorrow. Now, if that is what the uh, the Uncle Sam prints tomorrow morning, if it is a four tenths of a percent increase in the size of the economy, well, folks, we are not technically in a recession. That would actually be above growth neutral. That would be above zero. That would put off the, the recession talk for at least another quarter. But the overall trend continues to be slow down in the economy. On Monday, we heard from Walmart. They announced that they are cutting their profit outlook, their concerns about the customers, consumers having the cash necessary to pay for all of the higher prices throughout the economy. Uh, We saw Target make a similar announcement just about a week and a half ago, and both of these companies say, hey, we are dealing with lots and lots of inventory, and we're concerned that folks may not be coming back out to buy it. Before we let you go for the day, folks, we are seeing a lot of red on the grains today in Chicago at the Board of Trade. We've got corn mixed. We've got wheat down. Soybeans, however, are on fire. That front month August soybean contract goes into delivery on Friday, so the open interest is very low. But we are up 40 cents in the August soybean. September contract up 25 and a half. And November new crop soybeans right now up 25 and three quarter cents. A lot of strength there. We'll discuss that in the market segment tomorrow on AOA. Folks, thanks for tuning in today. Have a safe afternoon and we'll see you tomorrow. Take care, everybody. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the
3: world. It's been said that when someone you love has Parkinson's, you have Parkinson's. The Parkinson's Foundation knows that the disease doesn't just affect the diagnosed. It affects everyone who supports and helps care for them.
9: If you or someone you know is living with Parkinson's, a neurological disease that affects movement, we understand that it can be difficult to know where to find help.
4: If you have questions, the Parkinson's Foundation has answers. Answers for everyone in the fight.
3: We can help you understand the disease. Help you find expert care and local support.
4: Give you tips for living a better life.
3: And share the latest research. Find your answers, and join us in the fight against Parkinson's. To learn more, please go to parkinson.org. Or call 1-800-473-4636. That's 1-800-473-4636. The Parkinson's Foundation. Better
7: lives
4: together.